we're going to have a review of everything we've done in 1 Corinthians so far. So we just got to the end of chapter 14. So we got all the way through 1 to 14. And here's my fear, right? My fear is that we bash straight on into chapter 15. And 1 Corinthians 15 is a terrific end to the book. Um, but my fear is that we just kind of bash on without really stopping and thinking, what have we done and where have we been? Because God's words is not something that we just kind of tick our way through and go, yep, 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 yep. God's word is given to us by his spirit to change us. So we're going to do things a little bit differently this afternoon. We, we want God to be changing us. We, as we review, I want you to be thinking very carefully and asking the question, what is it that God is saying to you? What is it that God is saying to us as a church? Where do we need to hear God's word particularly? Um, I've also got a handout for you. This is going to take a little bit of time. Let me just pass out a handout. Um, actually, can, can I come, would you mind? That's very kind of you. There we go. Take one of those. We don't normally have a handout, but I want to show you um, how 1 Corinthians sort of works. I mean, to get a really big picture um, for what is going on, on in this book. Wonderful. So if you can find 1 Corinthians, uh, it's on page 1144 in the Church Bibles. And my hope is that as you leave this afternoon, this is my prayer, this is my hope, that we leave saying, I feel like I've got a real handle on what 1 Corinthians is about. And not only have I got a handle on it intellectually, I also have got two things I'm praying that God would change as I leave. Okay? So that's where we're heading. If you've got 1 Corinthians chapter 1 open in front of you, I'm just going to read from uh, chapter 2 verses 1 to 5. Let me read this just to get us into it, and then we're going to have a, this big sweep. I know this looks like a lot, don't panic. This is not like a monster-long sermon. There's going to be time as we go through to stop and to reflect and to pray um, as we go through. That's the plan. But let me read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Let's pray and ask for God's help. Father, thank you that this message is not a human message. What we have in this book is not human wisdom. It is spirit-filled, spirit-given, spirit-empowered wisdom for us. Oh, Father, please, on this warm, sunny afternoon, would you wake us up, wake up our souls that we might hear. Holy Spirit, would you be the teacher this afternoon? Would you help us to understand this letter that we might live more to be the people you want us to be? In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, there are a number of problems with 1 Corinthians, the the Corinthian church. If you'd looked at them from from the outside, you'd have said, well, here's a few problems. You're divided. You're completely all over the place in terms of power struggle within the church. 
you're obsessed with all the wrong things. There's, there's all kinds of chaos going on. But actually, it comes down to one fundamental problem. There's one thing that's really going on. And that is that they've completely forgotten Christ and him crucified. They've completely forgotten Christ. Look, imagine, and this isn't a great illustration, which is not, not a good way to start an illustration, but just let's go with it for a second. Imagine that uh, we were going camping, um, and you forget one tiny little bit, and it, trash, it, it messes up everything. I'm talking about the little plug that goes in the lilo. Right, you forget the lilo plug, you get the lilo out, you pump it up, and you're like, right, where's the... Not the plug, right? The plug undermines everything. Your, your whole camping trip is ruined. Because you can't now sleep, because the lilo's not pumped. You know what I mean. <laughs> and you try and shove other stuff in, but it just doesn't work. Because now they've put holes in biro lids. They used to work well, but they've messed that up. And the whole thing, your whole camping trip is spoiled because of this one thing that's missing. In Corinth, that one thing is Christ and him crucified. But you see, actually in Corinth, it doesn't quite work, the illustration, because in Corinth, it's not that they've lost it. It's not like, well, who put, where have we put Christ crucified? They have actively pushed him out. They don't want Christ crucified, so it's more like there's someone on your camping trip who really hates camping. And so they have hidden the plug, all the plugs. And they say, it's okay, because we can go and camp in the B&B just down the road. Let's go camping there. It's much more comfortable. It's much nicer. Everyone will be happier. Let's go camping in the B&B. We'll still call it camping. But you know it's not camping anymore. That's what the church has done. The church has said, we don't like this message of Christ crucified. We don't like this message of this king who's died on a cross. It all feels a bit weird and a bit weak and a bit rubbish. Let's push that out. We can still be church. We'll do it like this. It'll be comfortable. We'll have nice beds and it'll be really, really smooth and it'll be really fun. It will still be church. But Paul is writing to say, if you abandon Christ crucified, you're not church at all. It's not camping if you're not in a tent. It's not church if Christ crucified is in the heart of everything you do. And what they've done is pushed him out. The church gets messed up when Christ crucified is pushed out. And that is the heart of the message. Those two words, Christ crucified, that's it. They're two words that shouldn't go together. We saw this months ago. They're two words you shouldn't put together. Christ means victorious, awesome, powerful hero. Crucified means loser, reject, rebel, victim, nothing. It's like me saying to you, I am a billionaire. You go, ooh, that's impressive. I add one word to it and it spoils it completely because if I tell you I'm a bankrupt billionaire, suddenly you're not impressed anymore. You just think I'm a loser. How did I lose a billion pounds? What a waste of space. What a complete waste of life. That's Christ crucified. If he's the all-powerful Christ king, what's he hanging dead on a cross for? You see? The Corinthians, they don't like it. So Christ crucified gets pushed out. But Paul says without Christ crucified, you have nothing. 
That's why Paul, in what we've just read, said, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul says, Christ crucified is not just part of my message. It's not just a little bit. It's not just the plug in the lilo because you've got all the other camping stuff. It is everything. I knew nothing else but this. This message. And so the fundamental problem, despite the divisions and the mess and the chaos and the power struggles, it all comes down to this. Christ crucified has been pushed out. No longer is this a cross-shaped church. And we saw, and you've seen this, you'll see this on your sheets, we saw over these, these three series that we've done, there's really three big uh, areas, three big chunks in 1 Corinthians, which are about wisdom, freedom, and spirituality. They've pushed out Christ crucified, so now they have a different view of wisdom, a different view of freedom, and a different view of spirituality because they've lost Christ crucified. So we're going to quickly run back through that so that you can see how that works. And as we do this, I hope it will perhaps make us think about the ways in which we do the same thing. A cross-less gospel, a cross-less church leads to a complete distortion in each of these three areas. It makes a mess. So let's, uh, let's go through this. When we put Christ crucified in his right place, it changes everything. Right, let's think about wisdom first of all. What does wisdom, apart from Christ crucified, you get rid of Christ crucified, what does wisdom look like to our world? Well, wisdom is all about being impressive. Wisdom means impressiveness. So here's this church in Corinth. They're desperate to be impressive. So if you've got chapter 1 still open in front of you, you get it in verse 22. Have a look at it. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 22. Jews demand signs. The Greeks look for wisdom. There it is. That's what the world wants. We want powerful signs, miracles. We want wisdom, cleverness, Impressive arguments, intellectual power. We want that stuff. But Paul says, but we preach Christ crucified. Do you not see the problem? Corinth is obsessed with being impressive. They just want to show off. And Paul is writing to them to say, that's because you've abandoned Christ crucified. Because you will never... Follow a crucified Christ if you want to be impressive. I wonder whether you can see it in your own heart. We're desperate to be impressive, aren't we? We're desperate for our world to look at us and go, wow, they're good, those guys. Church, they're really clever. They're fantastic. They're so powerful. We crave it. And the trouble is because we crave impressiveness, we go, let's just push out Christ crucified because the world doesn't like that. The message of a crucified king, a crucified Christ who had to die to save you. To say to our world, you're not just broken, you're sinful, and you're so sinful that Christ had to come and die, that's not an impressive message. But it is the wisdom of God. And it is the power of God. So if you flick over to chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians, just flick over to chapter 4. This is the Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 8. Have a look at it with me. 
Paul says to them, already you have all you want, already you've become rich. You've begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish you really had begun to reign, so that we might reign with you. He's being sarcastic, he's saying, look, already you think you're so impressive, already you think you've got it all. And Paul says, you you haven't, because you pushed out Christ crucified. But what if we keep Christ crucified at the heart of our church? What will wisdom look like then? What does a cross-shaped wisdom look like? It looks like boasting in the Lord. It looks like speaking boldly and powerfully about Jesus Christ. It looks like abandoning self-confidence. It looks like saying, it's not about me. I can't fix myself. I'm not impressive. I'm not wise by human standards. I'm not influential. I'm not of noble birth. I'm foolish, but God chose me and saved me. To be impressive means you cannot be a Christian. If that's your desire in life, if your biggest desire in life is to impress the world, you will never follow Christ. But when you see what God has done, and when the message of Christ crucified becomes not foolishness but wisdom, and when you see in Christ crucified the beauty of the powerful king who would give his life for you, when you look at him hanging, dying on a cross and saying, he did it for me, suddenly you begin to boast about him. We will be a church which boasts about Christ, a church which boasts about him, which talks about him, which doesn't big ourselves up and say, hey, look, look what a great church we are. Who cares what a great church we are? Great churches are deeply unimpressive churches because we talk of Christ crucified. So we're going to take a moment, and I want us just to think, I want you to take a moment to just reflect on your own heart and, your own, and our, our church as a, as a church family. Do you see anything of this in you? Do you see any of that desire to be impressive in you? That boasting in yourself? That desire to look good? That desire to have everything now? That desire to be impressive? Do you see anything of that in you? Just take a moment. I'm going to give you a minute of quiet. Why not take a moment just to confess that? Say, Lord, I don't want that. I, I, I struggle with that. I don't want that. Why don't we take a moment just to quiet, just to, just to pray, and then we'll pick up in the second section. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would forgive every proud thought that lurks in our hearts, every desire to push ourselves forward, every desire to be impressive. 
every desire to be the one with power and knowledge and all that stuff. Father, thank you that we follow a Christ crucified. We follow a powerful king who gave it all up to go to a cross. And Father, we ask that we might glory in that cross, that we might boast in that Christ, that he might be more precious to us and that we would be a church that is deeply humbled by what you have done. In the powerful name of Christ we pray. Amen. So that was the first big chunk, wisdom, the impressiveness, that desire to be impressive. But let's move on then into the second big chunk, which was in freedom. And, and the freedom chunk was a, was a big chunk. And there were two big sections in that. Okay? I'm trying to give you a map for 1 Corinthians so you could go away and go, I think I've got a handle on how this works, this book roughly. Firstly, there was a section on um, immorality. So here's the issue, right? If you push Christ crucified out of the church, freedom looks like immorality. If you push Christ crucified out, this is how the argument goes. You say, well, I'm free. I'm a Christian, and Christian is all about being free. And being free means I can do whatever I want to do. I have the right to do anything. I can do whatever I want. And therefore, I will sleep with who I want to sleep with, and I will live the way I want to live, and I will decide things the way I want to decide them. I'm in charge. I'm free. That is a crossless freedom. That is a freedom that denies Christ crucified. So come over to chapter 6 with me. Come over to chapter 6, verse 18. Have a look how he argues it. All the way through this section, it has been around the subject of immorality. There's this immorality within the church. They're living lives that are completely out of line with God's uh, set order for things. In chapter 6, verse 18, he says, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So here is this definition of freedom, which is a cross-shaped freedom, a Christ-crucified-shaped freedom, which doesn't say, it's okay, it's your body, do whatever you want. It says, you were bought at a price. Jesus looked at you and he loved you and he gave his life to pay for you. You were bought. Christ crucified is the price that Jesus paid so that you could be bought out of sin, out of of immorality to belong to him so that you could become his. And so when that thought goes through our heads is, well, it's my body, I'll do whatever I want with it. Christ crucified says, no, it's not your body. It's not your body. Christ paid for it. If you're a Christian, you belong to him. You're his. You are united to him. And I get that in our culture that might sound slightly freaky and scary, but let me assure you of this. Jesus is the most perfect kind, gentle, glorious, majestic 
human who's ever existed. And his purpose for you is good, only good. And he says, honor me with your body. So flee immorality. And if crossless gospel leads to impressiveness in section one, it leads to immorality in section two. But when the cross is in place, instead we honor God. We ask not the question, what can I do? What can I do to satisfy myself? We ask the question, God, here am I. How could I, how could you use me? I belong to you. I want to honor you. That's a big challenge for us in our culture. As a church family, I think this area of sexual immorality is an area we need to take very seriously. We saw a lot of stuff on this when we preached through this, but let's keep praying about this. Do you know, I heard, um, I was listening to a sermon, uh, Linda and I were away um, for a couple of days, and we listened to some sermons together, and one of them was, um, the, gu- the guy was preaching, and he said that he'd been talking to an old pastor recently, and he said to him, what is it you're praying at the moment? And this old pastor said, he prayed every day, Lord, please don't let me become a dirty old man. That was his prayer every single day. Because so much of his heart was, I want to honor you. And I can see the danger. I can see the danger. And we would be fools if we thought there was no danger here. We'd be fools if we thought that the power of the argument that goes, you're free, do what you want. You have the right to do anything. That was their argument. I have the right to do anything. But Paul says, no, no, no. To live for Christ is better. To live for Christ is what you're for. It's what you were saved for. So flee immorality. Freedom looks like fleeing immorality. Isn't that interesting? That's freedom. Not just going around doing whatever I want, but running, running away from immorality. That is because immorality will always enslave you. You'll always be a slave to desire as you follow the way of immorality, but you run to Christ and you find in him freedom. And how many people living in London right now are enslaved, absolutely enslaved, by their immorality? Only Christ will set you free. So flee immorality. But then in the next chunk, um, he turns to talk about idolatry. And he says, not only do you flee from immorality, you're also to flee from idolatry. This is from uh, chapter 8. Have a look at chapter 8, verse 1. Now, about food sacrificed to idols. This introduces the next big section. Paul is now going to talk about idolatry. And in Corinth, this is the way their argument was going. They're saying, well, we're free. doesn't really matter. Okay, There's these gods and these other other gods around. It doesn't matter if we join in the worship of them because we're free. I have the right to do anything. I'll eat what I want. I'll eat the food sacrificed to what it is. It doesn't matter. And Paul pleads with them and he says, you're so foolish. Freedom does not mean plunging yourself into whatever you want. Freedom means worshipping the one true God. Fleeing idolatry and worshipping God. 
And Paul says, my freedom, you want to know what I do with my freedom? I use my freedom to win as many people as possible for Christ. I use my freedom not to serve myself, but to serve others. There's true freedom. True freedom means that I lay down my life for someone else. That's Christ crucified. When Jesus went and died on a cross, you want to know what freedom looks like? That's freedom. Doesn't look like freedom, right? Looks like he was defeated. It looks like he's nailed to a cross. But that's true freedom because in that act, Christ was obedient to his Father. Christ lived the right way. Christ did not give in to temptation. Christ was free. And freedom will not always feel easy, but it is always right. Freedom will not always feel comfortable. Idolatry will often feel enticing, but it, is always, leads, it always leads to slavery. And we thought in this section, when we got to it, the way that as a church we will be tempted to to turn away from the true God, to worship the gods of our world, to join in with those around us, to join in with those whose sole aim in life is to make money. Their sole aim is to find that money, to find that house, to find the perfect little life, to find this perfect thing, and it's idolatrous. It's idolatry. We will indulge. Idolatry is indulgent. Idolatry is me plunging myself into whatever I happen to fancy. Freedom means saying no. So look at chapter 10, verse 14. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. You flee from immorality in chapter 6. You flee from idolatry in chapter 10. Flee. You just run the other direction. Don't get joined. Don't become part of it. So let me ask this question. We're going to pause again just for you to have a chance to reflect. Let me ask this question. Do you see either of these dangers, immorality or idolatry? That is pursuing a, uh, pursuing a lifestyle, a sexual lifestyle that God says is wrong, or idolatry, putting something else in God's place that is more important to you than him. Do you see either of those things in your heart? It's only Christ crucified. It's only the one who died who can teach us about true freedom. Just take a moment to ask that God would help you to flee idolatry and to flee immorality. Heavenly Father, we ask that you'd help us, please, not to believe the lies that our world tells us about freedom, but actually to see in Jesus, in this message of Christ crucified, to see in him true freedom.
where we can flee from immorality and idolatry and we can find Christ to be the one in whom we find true freedom. Father, please help us, we pray, as a church family. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, one more chunk. Are we all still okay? Are we doing all right? Um, Spirituality, chapters uh, 11 to 14. This is the stuff that should be fresh in our minds. This is the stuff we've been doing most recently. Um, And if you get rid of Christ crucified... If you push Jesus out, what you end up with is individuality. Where you are obsessed with yourself and your own gifts, where you want to be bigged up, where you want to be edified, where you want to be noticed, and you don't care much for other people. That's the danger of a church without the cross. That's the danger of the church without Christ crucified. That's what's going on in Corinth. And that's why Paul has to write to them and say, come on. When Christ was crucified, why did he die? He died to make a body, a church. Jesus did not die to just save you. He died to save his people. Sometimes, you you know, I remember... I remember being very helped as a teenager by the idea that if I was the only person in the world, Christ would still have died on a cross for me. Which is sort of right, but sort of isn't, is it? Because I'm not the only person in the world. And actually what that is, is an individualistic view of the gospel. If it was only me, he would still have died for me. No, it's not only you. He died for all of his people. He died to make a church. He died to create a body. A body where he's the head and where you are a hand or a foot or a knee. (laughs) I don't know. You see, this is how it works. And then he gives gifts to you, not so that you can have a happy time and not so that you can feel good and not so that you look good. He gives gifts to you so that you can build others up. And that's why the key to spirituality in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 is to walk the way of love. To walk the way of love that he spells out in chapter 13. Love is patient and kind. Does not envy, does not boast, is not proud. To walk that way of love, that way of love which is seen most clearly in Christ crucified. Christ crucified, where Christ walked the way of love to the very point where blood flowed from his hands and his feet and his head as he walked the way of love to die for you. He walked that way of love and now he says you walk that way of love. And true spirituality is a Christ crucified shaped spirituality where we will lay down our lives for one another, even bleed for one another because we so love each other. And where if there's someone who's better at stuff than I am, we rejoice in it. We say, praise God that you're better than me. Praise God that you're part of this body. Let's not be jealous and competitive. Let's not say, oh, who's, oh no, I think I'm not the most impressive one here. Who cares? Christ crucified. Christ crucified means we use our gifts to walk the way of love. 
And that's why we've been saying for the last couple of weeks to use this gift, particularly that we would prophesy to one another, speak God's truth by His Spirit to others for their good, to build them up. That's something we can all do as we walk this way of love together. But of course the Corinthians, they were just wanting to look good themselves. So I wonder whether in this area of spirituality, I wonder whether we've fallen into the trap of thinking that spirituality is somehow this thing we have to achieve where we have to look good and we have to put on our performance and we have to put on our act. Paul says, no, spirituality is when the Holy Spirit gets hold of you, when he enables you to say, Jesus is Lord, and then he gives you gifts to serve. So you want to be truly spiritual? Who are you going to lay down your life for today? That's what spirituality looks like. Who are you going to give up something in order to love and serve today? That's true spirituality. Corinthians never did that. Oh God, please let us be a church where we would lay down our lives for one another. So here it is. I, I, hope, I hope this has given you a bit of a sweep. I, I realize there's a lot of stuff. But do you see actually... You can get to grips with a letter. I know there's stuff in it that's hard. I know there's stuff that's difficult. And I know that there's stuff that's confused us along the way. But you see the big sweep? Christ crucified, when he's pushed out, it changes our wisdom, our freedom, and our spirituality. Remember those three big themes? You'll remember what the book of 1 Corinthians is about. And not just to remember it so the next time someone goes, oh, what's 1 Corinthians about? You can go, well, look, look at me, look how good I am. So that you can pray. When you're stuck for something to pray, when you're walking along the street this week, you're walking along aimlessly, not thinking about anything. Think, I'm going to try and remember 1 Corinthians. What was it he said? Can I remember it? And as you remember it, then pray it. Father, help us to have cross-shaped wisdom, to have cross-shaped freedom, to have cross-shaped spirituality. Jesus crucified. Let that be the heart of our church. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this wonderful wonderful book of 1 Corinthians which is challenging and hard and painful and glorious and majestic. It exposes us, it exposes our hearts, but it reveals Christ crucified to us. And so Father, we thank you for this book. And Father, as we see our own sin, as we see our own individuality, our own idolatry and immorality and our desire for impressiveness, as we see those things, Father, thank you that Christ crucified is the message that we need message where we find forgiveness for our sinful hearts and where we find the hope and the joy to live this life of freedom. Father, help us, we pray. Teach us more of this, we ask as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, please do take these little sheets away with you if you, if you want to, because um, that might give you a little thing you could be praying about this week. And can I just say, um, if you're here and you're a guest and, you, and you, you're not trusting Jesus or you, you're just here for the first time and you're a bit kind of like, what is going on? I hope you've got the, if you've, even if you haven't understood much, I hope you've got this one point. Christ crucified is the heart of what we believe as a church. And we're going to sing about it now and then we're going to eat bread and wine together because that reminds us of the Christ crucified.